Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hey, I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorlock. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Matters. Brother, I'm super excited because this week we are not alone. There is somebody else in the room. Uh, Today we are joined by Dr. Julia Higgins. Uh, Dr. Higgins serves as an assistant professor of ministry to women and the associate dean of the graduate program at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Dr. Higgins, it's such an honor not only to have you as a guest on our podcast, but uh, for you to be the very first guest that we've had so far. Uh, So welcome. Yeah, thank you. I'm so grateful to be here, so excited, and can't wait to dive into our topic. Yes, and speaking of our topic, today we're going to talk about pastors and equipping women in the local church. But before I ask any specific questions about this, I was wondering if you could share first a little about your own experience in the church, and even in academia, you being a professor here at a seminary, uh, who were some of the pastors and leaders who contributed to your spiritual formation and impacted your desire for ministry? Yeah, this is a great question because when I sat down the other day just thinking about this topic, the Lord just brought to my memory um, not just women who have discipled me, but several men. And so there's a long list of men, starting with my father and, of course, even my husband, who have been integral in my spiritual formation. But in addition to that, thinking through pastors, um, the, the pastor that I grew up under, Jeff Noblet at Grace Life of the Shoals, um, back, you know, almost 20 years ago, I went to him. I was 22 years old, uh, graduating from college, having this desire to serve the local church and not really knowing what that looked like and just went to him for counsel and to discuss uh, the possibility of attending seminary. Did women even attend seminary and what does that look like when a woman feels called to the ministry, but she doesn't really know how that should be expressed um, because I had this desire to teach the Bible and to learn how to teach it really well. And so he encouraged me to attend seminary. And there were several young men at the same time at our church who were called to the pastorate who were also going to be attending seminary. And he led the church not only to support them and pay for their education, but also mine. And so That's just huge, uh, you know, to think about uh, a man of God seeing a woman, a young woman desiring to serve the church and and asking the church body to to support her in that. Uh, So I did uh, leave my small town in Alabama and moved to Memphis, Tennessee to attend seminary. And uh, I was looking for a position in a church, didn't really know what that looked like and saw at Bellevue Baptist Church where I was attending an advertisement that they were looking for a church uh, growth intern for the evangelism department at the church. Uh, So I called up the office and uh, timidly asked the pastor over that area. His name was Bill Hendry. I said, "Uh, is this position available to women? And he kind of laughed and he said, of course it is. (laughs) Uh, And so he brought me in and interviewed me and hired me. And the Lord just used that position to grow my love for evangelism. Uh, in the local church. And then in addition to to those two pastors, uh, another man who was instrumental in mentoring me in the academic realm would be Brad Thompson. He was my uh, seminary professor, so he taught a class 
uh, principles of teaching, basically teaching us how to study the word and teach it really well. And he saw in me that the Lord had had gifted me with that spiritual gift of, of teaching. And uh, he really took me aside and told me, you know, you should consider maybe pursuing a Ph.D., um, he brought me into his Sunday school class at the local church and, and had me teach as a guest teacher in a co-ed Sunday school class um, and just really promoted those, those teaching gifts and encouraged me to pursue a PhD. So I definitely would not be here at Southeastern today if it weren't for those men. And so I can't leave behind Keith Whitfield who brought me here <laughs> to Southeastern. Um, one of the things he said to me over the phone when he offered me the position here on faculty was, he said, come dream with us. Uh, we're wanting to see women serve alongside men here wow. at Southeastern. And so just to hear a man say that, come dream with us, to give me a seat at the table was really um, just an, had great impact on me. So yeah, I want to encourage the, the male listeners, the pastors, uh, you know, if, you, if you're not identifying women, uh, Take these examples that I've provided and think through what can you do to identify females in your ministry areas. Yeah, wow, that's so good. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, why do you think it is important for women to be equipped in the local church, and, and what should this look like practically? So for pastors who don't have something like this in their church, this really hasn't even maybe been on their radar, what are some ways that they can you know, put some, some things in place so that women could be better discipled within their local church? Yeah, this is a great question. I think it's a really simple answer of why should they be trained? Well, simply because um, they're human beings made in the image of God alongside men. Uh, they've been given the great, the great commission to go and make disciples alongside men. And so if women are going to go and make disciples and teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded, then they should be trained as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, and uh, may I add also uh, Genesis uh, chapter 2, uh, after the Lord had placed the man in the garden to work it and to keep it, and uh, the Lord uh, had already uh, designed in Genesis 1 uh, to make man in his image uh, and to let uh, let them rule over the birds of the air, fish of the sea, beasts of the field, creeping things that creep on the earth. Uh, in Genesis 2, the Lord says, there's something here that's not good, and that is that man is alone. And so he says, I'm going to make a helper uh, fit for him. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Uh, one of the things I love teaching in my uh, my Old Testament survey classes is I say there's there are two uh, genders in the scriptures, and one of them needs help. Uh, that's what, <laughs> uh, Genesis two is pretty clear there. Uh, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper uh, fit for him. Uh, and so you say, okay, well, what is a helper? You know, help him in what? And I think what, what he's saying there is help him in the created task of ruling over creation. Uh, help him in the work of uh, uh, cultivating creation, cultivating even later on society and so on for uh, the good of creation, the good of others, and of course for the glory of God. Join that in with the Great Commission and you see uh, the Lord giving us kind of a, a, another task, maybe a, a corollary task, if you will, uh, which is to go and make disciples of all nations and all peoples. I see, and it just the way that I see it theologically, is that uh, Genesis 1 
and Matthew 28 are on the same page. This is this is now kind of post-fall a part of the creation mandate, which is we've got to work uh, not just in cultivating creation for the glory of God, but cultivating people uh, because of the sin and the fall and, 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 and so on. So we've got to make disciples uh, and work and teach to, to, turn, uh, to help people turn away from their sin and turn to Christ. Well, I, I think you could say the same thing in here. It's not good that man should be alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, men are not uh, designed by God to fulfill the Great Commission by ourselves. Uh, we need to have women that come alongside of us. We need to have women uh, uh, to, uh, to help to get the gospel out. And you see this through the scriptures. You see this throughout church history. This has always been the, 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 the way that God has worked through his church, by bringing men and women together, called by Christ, uh, to make disciples of all peoples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so Brandon asked, what does that look like practically? Um, so if you think about uh, women being called alongside men to help them in furthering the kingdom, furthering the gospel, then I would say encourage women to go on short-term mission trips, encourage them to go on long-term mission trips. And then also thinking about, you know, in, in traditional Southern Baptist churches, often uh, women serve on committees. And so maybe in, in more reformed Baptist churches where there's, there's not really driven by committees, uh, can the brothers maybe think of, well, how can we, within our ecclesiology, provide or give women a seat at the table? Um, you also think about traditional Southern Baptist churches. They're highly programmed, so they often have Sunday school or small groups where women can exercise their spiritual gift of teaching. And so, again, in maybe a, a more reformed Baptist church, it's less programmatic. Uh, so what are some ways that the pastors can think through how can um, I give avenues for women who feel called to teach the Bible? Uh, how can I set up uh, a ministry for them to express that spiritual gift? And then, you know, some, some churches do have women's ministry. They have, they have a women's ministry leader or a group of women doing that. But then other churches just may not have thought through having a specific ministry to women. They'll often think about children, they'll think about youth, they'll think about college, uh, they'll think about worship, and sometimes it just gets left off the list of even throwing money, throwing budget money towards women, women's ministry and hiring women to serve on the staff. So those are some of the, the practical ways that I would, would suggest uh, for pastors to be thinking through. Yeah, yeah, and I think that when you look at um, uh, our institution here at Southeastern, uh, you as as well as uh, as uh, I have uh, signed um, a statement called the Danvers Statement on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Um, we can't get through the door right. <laughs> until <laughs> until we uh, if we don't affirm uh, what's what's stated there. What I love about your answer is that. Uh, I think there's a misunderstanding of our our kind of anthropological mm-hmm. uh, uh, position, which we call complementarianism, uh, that it leaves women with ultimately no options uh, outside of getting married and bearing bearing children. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what you just stated was uh, just a a little snapshot of the many many ways within this framework. Uh, that women uh, can use the gifts that God has given them, gifted them with, to serve, uh, to serve the church, to serve uh, their communities, to serve the nations, uh, and so on as well. It, it, it's not, 
it's not so much a, a limiting thing as it is a specifying thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that we need to, to make sure that we, we keep that focus as we, uh, as we seek to equip our, uh, our fellow sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, just an example of what you were talking about, Dr. Higgins, about creating spaces where women can, can be trained. You know, I think of my own church. We had a men's internship program for years. Um, and then recently started a women's internship. And we noticed that when that, that program was started, that it started to quickly outgrow the men's internship. Uh, and just seeing that that now exists, we see these, you know, the women in the church being equipped, uh, not only being equipped, but being sent out to mm-hmm. serve and to use their gifts for ministry. Uh, so thank you for, for, for that answer. Uh, most of the time when we're having this discussion about women and discipleship, most of the time we find ourselves in Titus 2, uh, and that's a great example of women being discipled in a local church. But what are some other examples we see in Scripture of women not only being discipled, uh, but actually serving? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is great because I love Titus 2, and I just love the additional examples as well as Titus 2. Um, first of all, if you're just thinking about the Lord Jesus in his ministry in the Gospels, you see him interacting with women, you see him evangelizing women, and then you see them coming and following him and becoming his disciples. Uh, especially we see the example of Mary taking uh, the position of a disciple, sitting at his feet, learning from him. He says of her that she's chosen the better portion in doing so. Um, And also we see in, particularly in Luke 8, we see all these women who accompany Jesus. Uh, It says that they provide for him and the disciples out of their means. And then in addition to Jesus and, and his relationship and interaction with women as female disciples, we see Paul talking about his various relationships with female disciples in Romans 16 and in Philippians 4. Uh, so Romans 16 is like a window into just Paul's relationships with all of these believers that we otherwise would have no idea about, but their names are mentioned, and he gives a few descriptions of some of them. Uh, And so he talks about a few of the women and how they are his fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Uh, He talks about Mary. Uh, He tells the Roman church that she has worked hard for you. He also mentions uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Their names literally mean delicate and dainty. But he says of them, he says that they are workers in the Lord. And so they're, they are hard workers, even though they have this name that is very feminine. They are working hard in the Lord. Um, he also mentions Rufus's mother, who has been a mother to him, who has served him like a mother. And then we see in Philippians 4, he mentions Yodias and Syntyche. And he knows them well enough to be uh, concerned about their relationship and a possible disagreement that they might have. And he's also referring to them as those who have labored side by side with him in the gospel together with another brother named Clement and the rest of his fellow workers. Uh, So we see these um, basically just brief glimpses into women who were coming alongside of Paul uh, and Jesus and, and serving in the ministry. Yeah, those are uh, fantastic examples. Um, I, I also want to add just just one more, and that is uh, the the ladies who uh, went to the tomb, uh, mm-hmm. the empty tomb, the first ones uh, to see the empty tomb, and the first ones to proclaim that Jesus had risen uh, and that he his body was not in the tomb anymore were 
women. Uh, you see that in the Gospels. They were the ones uh, who were the first, if you will, evangelists of the resurrection of Christ. And uh, I think that there is a reason that the Gospel writers uh, added that in there. Uh, they didn't just announce that Jesus was, was, uh, re- had raised from the dead, but they had announced who uh, saw that and who were the first ones to, uh, to receive that evidence. It was, it was the ladies. Um, and they have gone down in history and will continue to go down in history as the first ones. Uh, and so we praise God for that as well. Um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting when you see in the scriptures other examples like in Second uh, John, uh, we don't know for sure if the elect sister uh, uh, there is a um, is a is a woman or if that's a reference to the church. Uh, even if it's a reference to the church, the church had to meet somewhere, uh, and, and so you have that there. You you have other uh, places where you see uh, examples of women who open up their homes uh, for uh, the uh, the church to meet and to gather together and so on. Um, even in church history, you have uh, many of the first martyrs uh, of the church were women, and even to this day uh, continue to be uh, 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 a large number of women um, who have uh, given their lives for the gospel. So, yeah, the, uh, our history as a people, uh, as, as the Lord's people, uh, is filled with examples of uh, godly women who have given their lives for the cause of Christ. So I have a question for both of you here. What are the biggest obstacles women in churches currently face, and how can we overcome those obstacles? I think one of the particular obstacles would deal with stereotypes, um, how women are sometimes stereotyped in a few ways. And one of those would be just that they don't care about doctrine or theology, that they don't desire to really dig deep into theology and to learn it and teach it to others. Um, So I would say, you know, if that's kind of in your mindset, maybe kind of seek to just open your eyes and begin to look for women in your church who really do desire to learn doctrine and theology. Um, Another stereotype might be uh, that sometimes women are viewed as uh, a temptress. And so maybe we need to step back. And yes, we know that, that the scriptures teach that that's a possibility. But for the New Testament believers, thinking about being in relationship in the church as siblings, uh, thinking about being brothers and sisters. You know, I think about Paul writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5. Uh, he talks about not rebuking an older man, but, but treating him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. So really pushing your mind to think through uh, women as your sisters in Christ and treating them as sisters. And then I would say just overall an obstacle maybe for not just not just women but for men as well is just a lack of discipleship in the area of Bible study, uh, how to discern the meaning of a text and apply it to your life and teach it to others, and an understanding of theology proper. I mean, I think that's why Jen Wilkins' two books, In His Image and None Like Him, which are basically about the incommunicable and communicable attributes of God, she's doing theology proper for women there. Those books have been so popular. Uh, And so I think there's just been a lack of understanding in the church on these topics. And so I think it would be great for pastors to provide co-ed or gender-specific learning environments, uh, considering, you know, you've been given the command in 
Ephesians 4, or it's described of you that you're a gift to the church from the Lord Jesus to basically equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So how can you equip saints, both men and women, for the work of the ministry? Yeah, I think in addition to that, um, we have a we have an anthropology that I think is um, is more shaped by culture than by scripture. Uh, one of the things that that concerns me uh, within the, the the church at large is that we have uh, we have some holes theologically. Kind of to your to your point, Doctor Higgins, uh, we have some holes theologically that we we haven't fully plugged in. And, and if we don't plug them in with scripture and with uh, clear uh, uh, meditation and reflection on the teachings of scripture, we're going to fill those gaps with something else. And I think that a lot of the discussion on, uh, on women in our church, uh, unfortunately, reflects a lot of the discussion on women in society. Uh, that uh, we've had a lot of uh, men who have taken uh, positions of authority, perhaps biblically, um, but we haven't used that authority for the good of of all that are under our authority. Uh, so instead of uh, leading like Christ, you know, Mark 10 would be a, a, a classic example there where the Lord talks about the Gentiles who take authority and they lord it over, uh, over the people that are under their authority. And then he clearly says in there, not so with you. This is not the way that my people use that authority. Rather, whoever wants to be great must become a servant of all. Whoever wants to, uh, whoever would have authority must become a slave of all. And of course, he uses himself as an, as an example for the Son of Man did not come uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So authority is, is radically shaped by the person and work of Jesus Christ. If Jesus uh, is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, then he's the one who sets the stage then uh, uh, for how we uh, process and think through and even use our authority. Unfortunately, in our in our churches, much like in our culture, just as Jesus, you know, back in his day with the Gentiles, we see... Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, plenty uh, of examples of uh, men who have used their authority not for serving and not even for using, you know, uh, 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 taking the position of a slave over uh, 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 or under the people whom they serve, but rather they've used it uh, really for their own selfish purposes. And, and, uh, and that is hurt. Uh, not just the men in the church, but that's also hurt the ladies in the church as well. Um, we've seen that in the home also, you know, with the authority of the husband. We've seen that in, in so many other cases uh, as well. When, when we are not functioning uh, as the Lord has, has created us to function, um, and, and even in, you know, for those who are in positions of authority uh, in the home, in the church, and so on, uh, Nobody grows. <laughs> Nobody grows. Uh, but when we live the way that the Lord has called us to live, and when we serve the way that the Lord has called us to serve, everybody grows. Uh, and and so, yeah, I think that um, uh, you had uh, touched on some things, and I, I just wanted to touch on that, that issue of authority as well. We really need to have a, 
a a Christ-centered, you know, Christ-driven understanding of authority. Jesus doesn't get rid of authority, uh, but rather he redeems it and redefines it so that now this leadership and this authority is an act of love and not a, uh, not an act of, uh, uh, of, of mere power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so what are some resources and books, Dr. Higgins, that you would recommend to pastors on this topic of training and mobilizing women in their churches? You know, this podcast is only 30 minutes long, but it might be enough to get some cogs turning. And there may be some pastors that are wondering, OK, what are some what are some more ways that I can learn how to do this well? Yeah, I have a, a great list here. Um, so there's women's ministry in the local church by Ligon Duncan and Susan Hunt. Uh, this is a great example of a pastor who has identified a female in his church body who is a leader. They write this book together to show how women's ministry can be done to complement the local church and all of its ministries. So I definitely recommend that one. Um, another book by Kathleen Nielsen called Women and God. Another book called Word, Word-Filled Women's Ministry, uh, edited by Gloria Furman and Kathleen Nielsen, really emphasizing uh, having a women's ministry that's built upon uh, proper Bible exegesis. Um, and then an, another book by Hannah Anderson called Made for More, really talking about how our, our identity is being made in the image of God as male and female. And so not seeking to find our identity so much in roles and what we do, but more in our, in our nature. So I'd really recommend that just as a foundational book to, to study and read. And then A Typical Woman by Abigail Dodds. And of course, last but not least, uh, the book that's getting a lot of buzz on our campus right now, Worthy by Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Schumacher. And they, they have a great uh, chapter on women um, in, in, in Jesus's life and ministry and how he served uh, through servant leadership, like you were just talking about, Professor Locke. Before we conclude this episode, I, I do want to provide an opportunity for you to encourage any women who might be listening to this episode who feel the church hasn't served them well in this area of discipleship and mobilization, uh, what words of encouragement do you have for them? First of all, I, I would encourage you to do as Hebrews says, look unto Jesus. Um, he is the perfect God-man, and mm. he, um, he sees you, he loves you, he gave his life for you, and just as we've mentioned that he interacted with women in the Gospels, Uh, He desires to reveal himself to you so that you can find your chief delight and joy in him. And so he wants to shower you with his grace. Uh, I'd also encourage women to not only look to Jesus, but to pray, uh, to seek that that the Lord would help them if they feel overlooked, if they feel like, you know, I've gone to my pastor, we've had these conversations, but there's just nothing that ever comes about from those Mm -hmm. conversations. I would encourage them to pray. Most of the opportunities that I have had to teach the Bible have been because I prayed. I just sought the Lord in prayer, didn't want to be a self-promoter, and wanted to just seek opportunities given to me by the Lord. And so if you're out there and you feel like, hey, I've been given this gift of teaching, and I so want to teach the Bible to other women, I would encourage you to begin praying that the Lord would open up those doors for you. Uh, then, in addition, you know, maybe you can just refer your pastor to these resources that were just mentioned um, and, and seek to be an example of, yeah. of serving others and, and, 
and just being turned outward to serving others um, and serving where you are. Uh, in addition, I'll, I'll say this. Um, if you are a lady and you are in a local church and you feel like um, like the church isn't serving uh, women, uh, perhaps in, a, in terms of a program or, or something like that, what if that's where exactly why God has you there? Uh, what if what if you are the one uh, that God is equipping to uh, to be that person? Uh, you could start a Bible study. Uh, you could start a prayer group. You know, just uh, gather a couple of ladies over to your home and say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna pray. Uh, we're gonna walk through the scriptures together. Uh, let's let's keep each other accountable uh, and so forth." And and maybe out of that, you know, just organic, uh, you know, meeting together and fellowshipping together and 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 doing community and life together, uh, maybe that is the seed to the women. Uh, to a, a women's ministry or a women's discipleship uh, uh, emphasis there in your church. Uh, you could be, you being that one person that, that has that desire in the church, you could be the seed uh, that the Lord is planting in that church uh, to be able to, uh, to sprout forth and bear the fruits of uh, uh, more uh, focused uh, discipleship there in your church. So yeah, be encouraged. You uh, you may feel like you are alone in this, uh, but it may be that you are the one seed that God is planting into the into that church uh, to become uh, what what it is that you see that that uh, that future of uh, women being equipped and and being encouraged and uh, and trained up so that they can uh, serve the Lord there in your church and in the community. Uh, Dr. Higgins, thank you so much for your wisdom on this topic, and it is a very important conversation that we hope will continue to happen. If 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 pastors are not equipping the church, as in everybody, both men and women, uh, we've got a paralyzed body. We've got we've got a body that is not uh, functioning at full capacity. So these are definitely uh, important topics to discuss. I do want to let our listeners know about a virtual event that is coming up this week, actually, uh, called Worthy, a workshop celebrating the value of women. Uh, Dr. Higgins, would you like to share a little bit about about this event for, for pastors? Yeah, sure. So we have this coming up this Saturday. Uh, it's going to be from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. You can watch it virtually online. We're going to have Elise Fitzpatrick. She's going to be teaching through uh, three different chapters in her book, just teaching through some of the content from her book. Really excited to hear that. We're also going to have a few panel discussions where we talk about, uh, we have a, a panel discussion with Karen Swallow Pryor, Missy Branch, Christy Thornton, and myself talking about women in the 21st century as well as a few other items. So the cost for this is only $15. Uh, the first 400 people to sign up get a copy, a free copy of the book Worthy. So we would love to have you join us. You can register for this event on Eventbrite. Just search for Women's Workshop at Southeastern. We would love to have you attend. And uh, we'll be sure to post uh, registration on our website as well for this as well. So. Uh, we definitely recommend pastors considering uh, attending this event. It would be a great follow-up to the discussion that we just had. Uh, we want to thank you again for listening to this important topic. The Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership exists to equip and encourage pastors, and we hope we've done that today through this conversation. And as always, my beloved brothers and sisters, uh, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.